HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. Hey, 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 this is Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. We recorded a special cider show for Cider Week NYC, and you're going to listen to it live on Heritage Radio Network. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is a special on location at Wasail in the Lower East Side. We've got Ben Sandler and Dan Pucci from Wasail and special guest cider maker John Reynolds of Black Duck Cidery in Ovid, the Finger Lakes, New York, and of course, Gang K from United States of Cider. Thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world class ales and ciders. And uh, here we are. It's Wasail. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Last time I was here, was your preview night? You guys, you guys were just open, and and Sabine and Ben. Tell me what it's like. I mean, I know f- from our perspective, from doing the show, it seems like every time you have a cider maker in, we we do an interview with them. So it seems like a very ambitious program. You've had guys like Kevin Zelinsky coming in from Oregon. You know, give us a little background on on why you're doing such an ambitious programming at at a, a wine bar and cider bar downtown. Uh, well, why are we doing such ambitious programming? I think that's just integral to who we are, what we're about. I mean, we're about promoting cider. We're about putting cider right to the forefront of, of our identity. So part of that is in inviting some of the movers and shakers and the real rock stars in the world of cider here. And I think they all kind of want to be here, too, which is why you've been meeting a Super lot of new special. people lately. And so, Bing, what got you involved in this? I know you'd worked on green markets at one point, Cider Week for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, helping to develop the market for cider and more importantly, meeting all of the cider makers that I was working with, even though, you know, it wasn't a big national group still, it just, uh, I felt incredibly motivated to try to create a place in which we could really expand that that market opportunity for them. And then also, I think education is a really important component uh, for us at Wasail. Like, we really wanted to leverage our relationships and really try to educate people about this this beverage because it's still a pretty new category for a lot of people 
And you, you guys even have a cider director. So Dan Pucci, how are you, man? I'm good. Um, I, I throw my two cents into that comment. I think that people, are, the market really wants to have some place to talk about cider. I think the cider is really an exciting thing to talk about. I think that um, people in the city here are really, really interested in trying new and exciting products from around the country. Just like we're opening now, which is yeah. a great part of being at Wasail. And how did you get? How did you become a cider director? I mean, what was your background? Um, I worked in wine before this for many years, and um, cider is just, just wine with, 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 the, with the wrong fruit. So it's just really easy to kind of translate everything you know from winemaking and wine production into wine and everything into cider. It's the same thing at the end of the day. Um, so I know cider was always really interesting to me. It was really exciting. It was, it was really fun and for me. It's great to work with all these great producers like John. Um, directly and to get their, work with their products and to kind of help market on to great things he's doing. Great, man. And John, thanks for coming down. So you're from Black Duck Cidery in the Finger Lakes. True. And uh, you're in town. What did you do at, at Wasail last night? I ate really good food and drank really good cider. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and, and Wasail has been great uh, for us because it, uh, I mean, when, when I first sent him samples, uh, They've been really receptive to our cider, and uh, way more than receptive. Well, okay, <laughs> we were blown away. I mean, yeah. the first time we we tasted these ciders in the basement during construction, and we were, like, we were literally like, "Holy shit! Where is this coming from?" It was definitely like every time people ask me, and people ask me this question all the time: "What's most exciting to you right now in the world of cider?" I always say, "Black Rock." Yeah, these are and the finger lakes specifically. Yeah, no, that is very humbling, and it, and I will say that really, uh, for me, I'm, a, I'm an orchardist uh, that you know happens to make cider because uh, my, my real love is in orchard. I, I like touching the, the trees. You know, uh, I would prefer in some ways to always just be in the orchard. Although I like making cider, I'm not gonna lie, but uh, yeah, it is sort of a secondary thing. Yeah. And like, I think to work with these kind of work with these ciders and have so much character and like life to them and like, it's just really amazing. And tell us about the first cider that, that we're drinking. Is that Black Duck? Yeah, uh, yeah, that one I first poured was the Black Duck, the Spanish style cedra. So this is, um, I mean, it's a cedra, and I don't, I mean, I love uh, Asturias and uh, in, in northern Spain and the Basque region. I love those uh, uh, cedras, the ciders uh, that from that come from those regions. Um, I don't have a lot of the varieties that they use, so I use um, sort of varieties that uh, English and French and American uh, varieties, sort of to mimic it, but what I do is I make it in a similar style. So when we press the cedar up, it's over multiple days. So it's, it's sitting in the press, um, which, is, which is traditional there, um, and it gives it a different sort of profile um, than if uh, you just extracted it right away. If you grind the apples and you press them, uh, you get a totally different uh, sort of yeast. Um, and all of these are naturally fermented. Uh, so there's yeast and bacteria and all kinds of microorganisms that work on these that I basically have limited control over what they're doing. So um, every, every year it's going to be different. Um, there are some similarities, I think, that, that go through from year to year, but uh, you know, that's sort of the thing when you work with the natural yeast, you're sort of on a tightrope. You know, you don't really know what's going to happen, and sometimes I do fall off. But that's why we make vinegar also. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the, in the old days, was cider vinegar worth more than cider? 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was true, but it, it was definitely valuable. And I really like making vinegar. Also, um, that is not an ego-driven thing. I mean, in the cider world, I mean, I think that's why there's less people in the cider world that make vinegar because there's there's no glory in that. Um, but I really enjoy making vinegar as much as I do cider in some ways. Um, and vinegar really is the end process or the end product. Um, you know, cider is just that middle point uh, that you got to try to hold it at. It all wants to be vinegar. <laughs> Good man, welcome to the show. It's a nice start. <laughs> you guys join in, so we're, let's just do some tasting notes on it. Dan, what, what do you like about this? Um, I, I love CD how one. like how savory the cider is, and how it like, has this kind of cool salinity to it, and salt, but at the same time has this all about this nice like. Um, it's really secondary and really savory. Like, it's not fruit forward. It's definitely all about, about this kind of like savory kind of animal quality to the whole thing. Um, it's really pretty cool. It's really fascinating. What it do you think, Kay? It's like our expert taster. Mm, I don't know about that, but uh, I sure do like to taste. <laughs> but, uh, no, it definitely has that sort of savory thing you can really chew on this sucker. You yeah. know, it's uh, it's complex. I get sort of kind of like this warming spice thing from it too, like just like cinnamon, not in a sweet way, just in a like that kind of pleasing heat that it leaves kind of in your mouth after after you drink it. And uh, you know, it it is acidic because it, it's a cedra. It's uh, you know, it's a, a cedra style. We should say we don't want to offend the Spanish by calling it cedra, um, but uh, but it's there, and yet it's all very well balanced, and you could really drink a lot of this. Oh yeah, we gotta have more. Too. <laughs> so, Gay, well, look, we were here. We've been how many? How many episodes? Ten or fourteen episodes least, of cider, all from Wassail's great tasting list. And Absolutely. Now we're here. I think the sound here is actually really great too. I mean, it's it's a special place. Uh, like I said, I was here for the preview and I haven't been able to come back, but it's it's a real great place. And you guys, you guys did a great job. And it's kind of like you're on Orchard Street. It's kind of this like new, the new Orchard Street with some new restaurants and. And tell us, you know, why did you pick this? And I know you have some plans for Cider Week, too, for some kind of, like, special street market or something. Yeah, I mean, Orchard Street is definitely experiencing some kind of a, uh, well, it's gone through many, many different turns uh, through its history. It's got a, a long history, that, as, as people know. Um, and now I think that uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, great activity with uh, uh, chefs and, and uh, moving in and a lot of galleries around here and uh, it's really becoming the nightlife is kind of changing it used to be sort of known as more of a kind of party central kind of thing and I think that uh, you know people are, are, are uh, getting a little bit more mature now and it's uh, the area is changing differently um, so that was something that we picked up on and why we chose to be here of course we love the name as well Orchard Street it was you know not a 100% accident but uh, it was you know definitely um, yeah, a nice uh, coincidence and um uh, it, you know, we feel that there's real, a real kind of history of, uh, you know, the rock and roll and the punk scene down here. And uh, we feel like there's uh, so this just whole this, this new, new beginning and regeneration happening all the time. And this is kind of what we're about. We're about defining this new category of what, you know, what cider is. And, and uh, we're, you know, basically we get to be part of that conversation now and, and talk about, you know, how you drink it, what you eat with it, what, how you talk about it, what language you use. And, and so that's... Uh, you know, in a nutshell. <laughs> so when you guys have, have John, like, you know, cider makers like John here from the Finger Lakes, you know, what are some things that you want to learn from him? And you, know, you have your tastings and your dinners, this really ambitious program, you know? Well, I mean, go ahead, Dan. 
Um, I just want to know more about like production. Like, there's only so much I can get communicate over, over email. I really want to know more about like his methods and his production styles and how they really grow and treat the fruit. Um, and so I think in talking to him about the stuff, I can then translate that to the guests. I think one of the best things about cider um, is the connection to like New York State and to the people here. Like coming from somebody who worked in wine before, I used to always say like, "Oh, this comes from this wine comes from this place in France. It's amazing, but it comes from this place you've been to maybe once." Maybe never. Uh, with cider's like, oh, it's from the Finger Lakes. Oh, yeah, my aunt lives there. Or, like, it's from the Berkshires. Cool, yeah, my, my aunt, yeah, somebody else lives there, too. <laughs> <laughs> my, my aunt lives there. And people have a really nice connection. People can really visualize and connect to like, these places and where they're, where they're from, and people get apples. Like, grapes are a little more mysterious. So the first part of that, so, so tell us about your fruit and, and your practices. And yeah, well, uh, I mean... We originally planted uh, the, the first orchard. We actually have two orchards that are uh, within three miles of each other there in the Finger Lakes. And, and the first orchard was about 15 years ago we, we started to plant it. Um, so, so we planted you know, a mix of uh, sort of American varieties of apples that, that are dual purpose. They could be cider, but also uh, you know, we're for eating out of hand. And then a lot of French and English uh, cider apples. But the, but the big thing we planted was uh, peri pears. Um, most of those were uh, English varieties. Uh, and we planted those very early, which less folks have planted. And then, like I said, this was 15 years ago. And when I started to, to plant these things that cannot really be eaten out of hand, they can only be made into cider, uh, I was told I was crazy. Um, because at that point, there wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge about it or, or demand for, for cider uh, like it is now. Um, so, so we planted quite a mix there. Um, we originally planted the home orchard, um, and then we bought another parcel and we started to plant that. We do use organic methods um, in our orchard, although we're not certified. We're going to pursue uh, certification. And... Um, our, our orchard is sort of a mix of, you know, a modern system of uh, high-density uh, dwarf trees. So these are almost grown like grapes on, on trellis wires. And then also I do have uh, freestanding trees, uh, semi-dwarfs, uh, that look more like sort of the orchards of old that, that people uh, would know. Um, and I, I kind of prefer the dwarf uh, system. And I, I come out of a background of, uh, of, of fruit science. I, I was at Cornell. Um, so I take what I think is the best of that world and then also what I think is the best of sort of the old world techniques and I try to uh, blend it together. Um, but that's, yeah, that's sort of really my style. But um, I think the pears are the, are the craziest thing, the peri pears, because some of those took 11 years from planting till they had fruit. That's crazy. Um, so, and that's why you don't have people planting a lot of them because you, as Dan said, you would have to be crazy to do that. <laughs> and we continue to put more acres in of peri pears. Um, we're going to have seven acres. So you're admitting you're crazy? <laughs> well, my, I think... I she, think she wants to only find... Yeah. She means like, if you're not crazy, you can't come to us. Yeah. Well, well, no, no, isn't I there some lore about planting... Uh, Pear pears, trees basically pears, for the next generation. It's not for, for yourself. Your yeah. No, and it's yeah. that, that's and there's a. I mean, I found out why that saying is true because we used to always say that, but you don't really realize till you yourself. Uh, <laughs> years. I will say, my wife, yes, has said that I'm clearly crazy. And ten years into the pear, she she asked why we weren't cutting them down and just making firewood uh, at that point because she was. 
she thought for sure they were never going to fruit at that point. Uh, and I, I was starting to doubt myself. <laughs> but uh, but they, they have now started to fruit, and uh, I do continue to plant more. And I do have two beautiful young daughters that maybe someday will uh, mm-hmm. benefit from my craziness. <laughs> you know, Tom, Tom Oliver from England, who makes great perry, he says he wants a perry tree to be 50 years old to, to make really good perry out of so. I, I hope for something. No, no, I, Maybe that's I, I two hope, generations. I hope that's true. It's some. I hope those trees, you know, are fifty years old, a hundred years old, and and yeah, those those old trees in England and uh, uh, France are just amazing. Uh, some of them, you know, I've been told in Normandy, some of the trees I saw were were two hundred years old. Uh, they're massive, tall uh, trees that just are beautiful and amazing, and they do make yeah, I think amazing parry. So. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope our trees are 200 years old someday, which right as many generations down there. I just want to say, you know, I feel like this kind of conversation about making people understand the agricultural connection to to what cider is is so important because a lot of people still think cider is brewed um, and don't really understand, you know, what what is required really to to grow the fruit and to take care of the fruit and so we you know we find that that that's a really important thing and that's one of the reasons why we love bringing cider makers here to to interact with the public and why we have you know the educational programs we do and why Dan with his wine background and training you know talks about the cider and, and the taste and style profiles in a certain way that that reinforce that connection and we added you know these. Uh, Kind of notes underneath the ciders that will help the uh, the guests kind of navigate that themselves too, which is exciting. That's brilliant. This is a great start to the show. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Touching the Surface by Dreams. Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Clay Gordon of thechocolatelife.com, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special on location at Wasail in the Lower East Side, one of our great cider shows here. And uh, 
Ben and Dan and Sabine from Wasail, Gay and Kay from United States of Cider, and John Reynolds from Black Duck Cider. We were drinking some great stuff, talking about berries and stewardship of land. And uh, John, tell us about this dry perry because it's it's I'm digging it, man. I love your stuff. Thank, thank you very much. Um, I think this this one is the the 2014, and I think this is. Uh, a little different than the 2013 um, that we had originally brought here to Wasail. And I think part of that is last year we had a light crop on uh, true peri pears and uh, uh, some of the cider uh, apples themselves. And that was mainly because I learned a valuable lesson in 2013, and that's you really do need to thin these uh, uh, fruits uh, off the tree more than I did. Um, you know, there was always talk that you could have uh, minimal care for, for cider and peri fruits uh, compared to dessert fruit because, uh, uh, you know, appearance and things like that didn't matter. And that's true, but you still need to thin these down or these trees want to go completely biennial. So last year I had a very light crop, um, and, and so it was a good, you know, lesson for me to learn, even though I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you, you never are too old to learn something. So uh, this year the crop looks really great. Um, this one is a mix of several peri varieties and then a couple old American varieties like Seckle and Honey Sweet, but there's a, a Barnett in this and uh, Gin and uh, Brandy uh, peri pears. And this year we should have the full complement again, which is about 15 different types of peri pears. Mm-hmm. So I think it will be, this. I consider this a little bit lighter than what the 2013 is, not as dense, um, or, or, you know, uh, is sort of what that one was. Um, I still like it, but it is different. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it sort of shows the vintage variation uh, of, you know, apples, much like grapes. So. Yeah, actually, for a peri, I, I find it that would be one of the more fuller-bottom peris I've ever had, and you say it's lighter than your previous ones? I... I believe it is. Um, yes. I believe I, you. I haven't tasted yeah. it. Lighter than last year's? Yeah, last year's, yeah, l- last year's yeah. was like was so viscous and textured. And like, Dad, I remember it being lighter last year's, actually. Yeah, really? A little bit more tannic, a little no, bit more... I mean, last year's was... Way more savory, like vegetal, like like full-on celery. Uh, this one still has, you know, great, great celery, you know, um, notes. Like, I feel like I'm just kind of chewing on the, on the celery leaves, mm-hmm. but... Um, yeah, I think this one's a little bit chewier. Who else in New York is making yeah. uh, Perry's? Uh, um, Eves, Eves makes, makes Eves a Perry. Makes a um, so how is Eves different from this? It's they much, make a blend of... of there's blend. much more, I think, has more dessert fruit in it. It, it is, yeah. I would say it's an American fruitier. There's fruitier. more fruit than, than this is more savory. I mean, I think those are probably the yeah. two biggest. Although there's I, this no, cleaner, like, too. They, yeah. they have a more controlled uh, process of fermentation. So is they, is, they is like perry a certain type of pear? Or can you, yeah. or mm-hmm. can you call all pear ciders perry? Or is, is perry supposed to be a certain type of tree? It generally is a specific type of, of pear that you generally would not be able to eat out of hand. Um, they tend to be small and tannic and actually have a fair amount of uh, acidity to them, which dessert pears have almost no acidity and very little tannin. I mean, they tend to just be as, uh, you know, a sweet uh, fruit bomb uh, dessert pears. So it is true that these... Uh, you know, peri uh, is sort of a separate fruit uh, from the dessert pear. Having said that, I do have, you know, honey sweet and seckle uh, goes a little bit in here, but it's a relatively small percentage. And those are actually uh, old American dessert pears, but they're very small. Um, so there's a lot of uh, 
uh, skin to flesh ratio. I mean, they're not a big. Uh, and, and what I found too is when you ferment them out, even by themselves, there's something left. A lot of the dessert pairs, when you ferment out, there's there's pretty much nothing left. Uh, there's no flavor, no no sort of nose uh, when when you ferment those out. You don't want to ferment Bartlett's. It's it's not. <laughs> I I find this. Perry, like truly unique. I mean, and 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 vastly different from any other Perry or Poiré that I've ever had. I would say typically uh, a Perry uh, or a Poiré is going to be very floral and aromatic, and there tends to be a little bit of residual sugar traditionally. And this is nothing like that. And I was wondering if you could sort of speak to the process that would 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 get us uh, something which is a lot more akin to. You know, a, a Spanish cider in a way, or even a Basque cider. And I think that just goes back to once again my techniques. I mean, I think it, you know, it does have to do with my uh, varietal selection in the orchard itself. So I do have, you know, a, a decent mix of, of peri pears. But as far as once they come into the cidery, um, you know, we sweat the pears, but for a shorter amount of time, which is actually when you, you know, you pick the fruit, you let it sit off, and it, and it continues to ripen off the tree. So we sweat it uh, for the maximum amount of time before they actually start to rot. And once again with the pear, I, uh, we grind the fruit, and, and pear is a little riskier than, than cider. Um, because the pH and the acid sometimes doesn't uh, work out as well, but we let it sit for... 24 to 48 hours, the pumice before we press. And that's pretty typical for what I do, and I think that's different than almost anyone else, where they grind it and they press it immediately. And, and it's a different product. There's biochemical reactions happening when you're just letting that pumice sit. Um, and, and I believe, and, 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 and the fact that we're doing natural fermentations um, as opposed to adding culture, uh, cultured yeast. Um, and enzymes and, and all the things that are, you know a lot of folks use, um, I, you know I think that's what gives it that. I, you know I really don't know. It I just make it and it comes uh, out. This Andy Brennan from Aaron Burr, uh, Andy Brennan and Polly Garagosian, they make a uh, a peri um, from foraged pears, actually from foraged peri pears. I have no idea. But it, 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 they also don't uh, don't um, use. Uh, Commercial yeast, so and, and nor did they filter. So I feel like there's, uh, if there's any similarity between anybody else doing a peri in New York, I would say uh, with those guys. How long are the pears and apples sweated for before they're pressed? It it really depends on the season um, because obviously like, that's not a good, didn't it? I like that. The early September <laughs> ones you can't let sit as it's too warm. Uh, so. You know, for the pears, it could be anywhere from five days to two weeks. Uh, it's a much shorter time. And the apples uh, could be anywhere from three weeks to two months, three months. How much um, loss of mass is there, of water mass? You know, I've never actually weighed it, but it's considerable. I mean, I would guess, you know, it could be anywhere from 10 to 20 uh, you know, up to 20 when I let it sit for months. And these, and I also should say, when we sweat them, we do it in a traditional European way where uh, I do not sweat them in a cooler. These are sweat, you know, they're, they're left in the shade, in a shaded uh, barn, essentially, uh, but there's no refrigeration. 
so these really are continuing to do all the uh, processes of uh, it tastes that way I mean so, it's like old world ciders definitely yeah. how did you learn yeah. how to do I mean it's not like there was such a long tradition here a continuous one anyway so how did you learn how to do all this I spent a lot of time in the cider regions in Europe uh, just you know visiting and uh, touring uh, I mean once again my wife will tell you that uh those are the vacations for the last 15 years that I've been going is to various cider regions of the world. So and you make cider pilgrimages instead of vacations. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then, no, and she doesn't complain generally, but no, no. She's great about it. But, but yeah, we did uh, a lot of touring, and, and I would talk with people, and um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was a home cider maker for many years, and you know, I made a lot of small experimental batches and sort of figured out what worked and what. What are some of the work? regions that you traveled to? Oh, I think I've been to most of the European ones. I mean, I haven't been so. I mean, I've been to uh, you know most of the French regions and, and, and England, uh, like Normandy, Normandy, and, and uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, where I really. The regions I love the most are uh, northern Spain. I mean, I love the Basque region, but even more, I love Asturias. Um, that, I mean, that's really where, when I went to Asturias, I realized, no, I really want to make cider. Uh, this, Is this the culture, too? It's like, the culture. It's the whole thing. Oh, my God. It's great. I mean, you know, it's a very blue-collar uh, part of, of Spain, uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's almost like Ireland. It's green, rolling hills, and it's, you know, dairy and, and cider, you know, is basically the, the two main industries. They have more cheese, I've been told, varieties of cheese in Asturias than anywhere else in Europe. Um, <laughs> Uh, just mainly because each hill, you know, community has their own uh, uh, varieties. But, but yeah, it's a culture. I mean, you know, you go out to these bars and, and the whole family's there. There's kids. There's, you know, the parents, the grandparents, they're all drinking uh, cider. You know, they're eating small uh, tapas uh, food. Uh, you know, I... I how, how do they serve their cider? They, they do a high pour. Um, so they essentially pour, uh, these are generally still ciders. Uh, they pour it high uh, into a glass. It almost looks like a pint glass, but it's actually a little bit thinner, the glass. And they catch it, uh, sort of uh, introduces oxygen and sort of opens up the cider. And then generally you throw it down. Um, so it's, it's, you know, a couple sips in a glass. You would throw it down. And in some of the old traditional places, they... They just have one glass, and they pass it around. There could be ten or twelve of you, sort of drinking out of this, you know, same glass. And uh, uh, you know, it's a great. I mean, that that there's so a lot. They of just mind. keep coming, high pouring. They just keep. You know, there's a c- couple people. You know, uh, you know, essentially bartenders that uh, that, that pour for you, and uh, the whole place is sticky and messy because it's spilled everywhere. <laughs> they have troughs usually by the bar, and they hose everything down. So you have you have your cider drinking clothes. You know, you, you should bring <laughs> your cider drinking. I don't. I don't I don't know if the you know if the owners of those establishments give clothing allowances to them, <laughs> or at least launder them or something. But uh, but no, I loved it, and and even um, you know it's a it's a big mining area too, or it used to be. I mean, the mining is starting to to go away because it's cheaper in Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, but but I you know met a lot of folks that I mean they those guys before they went off the mine would drink a bottle of cedar. I mean that was for breakfast with their. Food, you know, and they would kill a bot, and then they go off to the mine and go to work. And uh, it would be great. I'm not saying that we should drink a bottle of cider for breakfast, but that culture would well, be great in the U.S. Well, I, what are we doing right now? That's right. We advocate. I would say that. I would say we should, but, because you can. 
<laughs> so this is what you guys made it with, so have inside it for breakfast. <laughs> That's nice well, to you. If the water systems were contaminated, it would be the best thing to drink. Yes. It's low in alcohol and it's refreshing. So then you, you said you don't you don't brew, you 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 ferment or whatever. But now you got a dry hop cider and pictures of hops on the on the, the bottle. This is pretty different than the other ones. This is different, and this one is also quite different than the thirteen. Uh, this is the two thousand fourteen. It does have more American hops, and these are all our own hops. Um, I grew hops just for fun because I just love growing things. And uh, we generally, I made beer. I used to make like small batches of beer, and I'd give them to other home brewers and things like that. And then we, I eventually started to experiment with, yeah, uh, you know, a hop cider. Um, I think this one is, because it's more American hops in there, it... It, to me, is a little bit um, more like some of the West Coast um, uh, hop ciders that have come out, because it, it does seem to be big out there because that's the big hop-growing region in Oregon, Washington State. Um, and in 2013, it was, it was quite different because I had more uh, English noble hops in there. Uh, and this year, once again, I think the crop looks good for the English noble hops. But uh, it's just another thing that I probably shouldn't have planted because I just have... Probably too many different things. Planted. Yeah, <laughs> last year's was much more like um, more floral and more like it was a lot richer in body to it. Like yeah. as well, yeah. itself. This is much more kind of fresh and floral and citrus, and more more citrus and, and light. Yeah, but it's also uh, the hops are are, are are delicate and integrated, which is. I think I disagree with you in that I, about comparing it to West Coast uh, hopped ciders. I think most of the hopped ciders that I've ever tasted have been really kind of full-on hoppy bitter, and this yeah. is just balances out, and the hops actually disguise themselves as tannins yeah. and flavors, so it's... Um, That's exactly what I was thinking. It's a great, great yeah. flavor profile. Let's jump over to the Wasail list. So, yeah. so who, who's buying the, the cider for Wasail? Is uh, it all you me. now? Yeah, it's all me. So let's just talk through the list a little bit. Okay. There's some pretty cool stuff on here. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff is based... So we have some really cool things on here right now. Um, it changes constantly. Um, we, do about 100 we do about 100 bottles of cider on our big list. And generally around 12 or so by draft, and about 5 to 6 by the, by the glass at any given day. Um, we get a lot of cool stuff from a lot of people. Uh, Steve Wood at Farnham Hill always sends us down whatever he has chilling out we have like some older bottles of, of older uh, kegs of 2013 bittersweets I have some single varietal yarn uh, mills downstairs that it's waiting to get tapped um, we also get some other cool stuff like um, these guys in Barkside are, are brand new producers up in Williamson of Long Lake Ontario this is their entire this is their varietal uh, crab levels. it's like it's like mostly like Wixen and Manchurian crabs um, they just got launched a few months ago I think we're their first wholesale account in New York. Um, and what's really so Eve, Eve's cider's making a wholesale summer blend? Yeah, Eve's, made, Eve's basically came to us before we opened and said, hey, we have this extra tank of stuff. Would you like some of it? And we're like, yes, we would. So when they came down, like, do you want to make it still or sparkling? And we're like, I kind of like it still. It tastes really amazing because it's got so much body and texture to the whole thing. So we took it. It's great. I think they sell it. We take it, and they also support at the Kermit Lake Cider House as well. That's a really fun one when people are new to cider that I bring in here, and I'm like, what do you like, beer or wine? And they're like, wine. I say, red wine, white wine. You know, mm -hmm. if, I, if they come down to the I like white wine, I give them a glass of that, and they're like, oh, did you get me wine? I'm like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, let's have some fun. So, I, okay, wait, we're going to take a short break. We're back in a few minutes. We're going to do some fun, uh, 
teaching me how to drink cider at Wasail Stories. All right, back in a few minutes. You're listening to Train Song by the California Honey Drops. Cider Week helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Hey, we're Cloud Control, Control. and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio, a special on location at Wasail Cider House, New York City. Ben Sandler, Dan Pucci, Sabine, right. <laughs> and John Rells from uh, Black Duck Cidery and Gang K from United States of Cider. So we're having some fun. We're going to start talking about how do you teach people about cider. So Sabine, you were saying if I like like a, a white wine but I never really had ciders, what, what what should I try when I come? Yeah, I think it's still uh, you know dry, um, crisp. Generally, you know, an American style. But some of the ciders you have here, what, what I don't even know half these ciders. So. Um, definitely what things I like the ease. Drink if I like white wine. Um, the crab apple cider we have as well. Um, I that think tastes like a Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, it's oh like my God. super high tone and acid. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a real boundary pusher is that is the uh, the, the, the Imperial Rosé that we have. Oh yeah. I Eaten. mean, this like we love like sort of playing with 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 these blurred lines between cider and wine, and this particular one with its high alcohol and the fact that it's. You know, sparkling and pink, it really masks itself as, as, as a sparkling rosé. And that's from Eden? That, uh, yeah, that's Eden. Wow, I've never even heard of that. Did she, did she make it just for you guys? No, she sells it a couple of places, too. She was made this year, though. She, um, she, she wanted, asked Albert. Albert for... She was like, I want a rosé. And, and, and he made her a rosé. <laughs> and then let, let's say, like, if I want a beer... Should be. Say I, I like beer instead of wine, then what would you ask me next... If I wanted to try a cider, um, which beer do you want? I, I, I want I want like it's a nice paleo. I want like a nice, easy drinking paleo. I think you asked for things. I think you might find some ciders that have more of a yeasty quality to them, more of a lazy quality. Um, I think some of the more the English styles that have more of that kind of that texture and that body can work really well for something like that. Um, like the Sanford Orchards, yeah, or the really cool German one, the Fuschhoff, which is. Um, so I've, I've never heard of San, Sanford. So that's from they're the, in, uh, they're in Devonshire. Um, they're, they're all like super old school English syrup services. Right now I have the uh, Ashen Bitter and Davenant, which is like leathery and full and meaty. And I get that to people like red wine and things like that, um, or more kind of savory, more bitter beers because it's it's pretty earthy and pretty big in texture. And what if what if I wanted a red wine? Like I'm just like a red wine drinker. I like like a full body red wine. It depends on what you're looking for in that red wine. Yeah. Is it the tannins? I'm an earth it, sign, it like and I want earthy and tannic. I think <laughs> French. I think okay. for, I, I think some of John ciders as well kind of fall into that same line of like I, I always think I always say that like, I was remember I'm trying to talk about John ciders. I always say like I would call the Perry like hey this is like cool Chenin Blanc. It's always mine. Like this has got texture and meat and like weight to it. And I think the ciders as well are really yeah. these ciders that have that more of that acid, that more tannin backbone. 
are really great for anyone who wants like red wines or kind of more savory beers or savory. Yeah, we, we forget sometimes that pe- people are just learning about about beverages, and you know, and come from college, and you've had certain things, and come to a place like Wasail, you want to learn. So, and yeah. we even have the, like if somebody just has only drank the more commercial, like really, really sweet stuff, you know, we will steer them towards maybe a, a type of French Perry that tends to be very, very high in the residual sugar. So there's the sweetness there, but it's. It's a natural byproduct of the process. It's not by the fact that they added sugar. So that's kind of like the, the gateway. Cider yeah. you know, stuff, I, I have a funny story. Last year, I met some really cool English guys, and they were here in New York doing some events. And so they came by one night and said, oh, you, you, I heard you guys have really good ciders. And I'm and like, we tried them all. We didn't like them. I said, well, wait a minute. I'll get this. I'll get the, this Aaron Burr cider that no one has. And they tried to say, nope, we don't like that. And I said, what do you guys really drink in England? And they said, Magners. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? These guys have nothing on us. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the American cider scene and the New York cider scene is, is pretty cool. <laughs> because we can talk about yeah. these great ciders and they have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Forget England. But, but you, you have some funny stories like that. You, you must have customers that come in and... Yeah, people are really, um, our customers really want to try, are really new. There's been some folks who come in here who are very experienced and like love cider and all these things. And maybe that, maybe that is that Magners, that commercial product. Maybe it's more that interesting small production. Maybe it hasn't farm hill before and things like that. Um, but most customers here are pretty new. They kind of want to try stuff. You know, they're more experienced in terms of like they're like, very hardcore beer drinkers or they're wine experts or whatever it happens to be. They're still pretty new to cider and they're really here to try stuff. Um, and we can really like be a gateway to try new interesting things. People want to try as much stuff as possible um, and try and push, like really want to try something like, so, interesting. I like a guy last night, like, I want to try something really, really cool. What's the nerdiest thing I have right now? So I poured him a glass of John's Perry last night. And he's like, wow, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty <laughs> <laughs> Do you offer flights? Like if somebody wants to come in and they have never had cider in their life. Um, yeah, we're going to we're gonna start offering flights soon. We do a little bit of one right now. Um, we didn't really do it in the beginning, but now we're doing more so of that. Because we've definitely been the man if people want to find a try. Mm-hmm. Like people really want to try tons of stuff. Yeah. Well, it's just for an, from an educational standpoint. Like right. if you've never had cider and you want to try a few things smaller pours, more of them, right. get a sense of what you like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, I'm, I'm, tell us more about these, I'm still want to know more about the dinner and tasting format. So, John was here last night, what did you guys do with him, and, and, and how was the experience last, for the customers? Last night was more casual, last night was kind of, we had John hang at the bar, we had a bunch of folks come in, kind of chat and talk with them. So he sits um, at the bar? Yeah, and people kind of come in, we, we did a takeover last night, so it was all him by the glass. Um, generally on those nights, we have all these kind so of like... One, two, three, we had six... Six of his ciders last night? Yeah, six of his ciders on last night. And people come in, they talk, and they um, kind of chill out. It's kind of very casual, relaxed, and people get to learn and talk and, and drink and have a fun time. We also do dinners as well. We enter dinner with John probably in wintertime after a fruit tea, after, after, the, after his den on the farm, um, which are more and more like, sit down, we do like a 20 person dinner, which are more kind of. So you have a room in the back? Is that where you do yep. the dinners? room in the back. It's a nice... We do... We're trying to do... I have at least... We're doing, trying to do at least one or two of those a month. Um, we have a... We have, we're doing one... We're doing one probably end of August or next one. We're still trying to, trying to pin it down right now. And what, what will the format be for the dinner? Um, the format for the dinner is basically... Um, our chef... Our chef kind of creates a four to five fourth menu. Uh, I go through... We basically pair um, one cider for each of the courses... 
Um, usually we find some really cool produ- some really cool produce to highlight to it as well. Um, either it'd be stuff from the producer's farm because most of them are, they're fairly local, um, or something. And we basically kind of me and the producer have a good time. We kind of talk back and forth. And we have a good conversation with the guests, and we can kind of really get the entire all twenty five guests or so involved in the conversation. They kind of leave really excited about cider, and they've gotten to try stuff they never had before. And we get to usually bring down like really cool bottles of like one-off things. Like this is the weird thing we made three years ago, and it's like amazing. We've had people. <laughs> we've had well, that's kind of like what you just opened up. What is this? It's like a jug of cider. <laughs> it is a jug of cider. So this is uh, this is actually a uh, very light cider. It's um, it's it's a cider that we actually uh, took a press, uh, essentially low bricks uh, press. Uh, uh, from ice cider uh, experiment, and this was down to like seven or eight bricks. This is sort of uh, what's left uh, after you take out the high brick stuff to actually make like an ice cider, and uh, so that's why I ca- call it kind of the kin because uh, people used to take uh, after they pressed apples, they would then add water to the to the pumice and then re-extract and get a very low alcohol cider, and that's sort of what the workers then would drink. So in the orchard while they're working, uh, it's low alcohol, uh, re- you know, refreshing. And you don't add anything like sugar or there's never sugar added. Um, but well, this this then I actually added sea berries. Uh, so we we grow some amount of sea berries, which is uh, Hippophia rhamnoides, and yeah, there is some in there because this is actually not a cider that we will commercially bottle this is for us to yeah. drink in the field uh it's it's low alcohol it's about three percent alcohol and so you have uh, to have a, a whole jug for breakfast there's your breakfast we, yeah well it's a half a jug for breakfast a half for lunch we we go we go a little bit easy on <laughs> but yeah so this is this is more of a cider for us to drink um it yeah i don't know if i would ever bottle this but uh I told you know Dan uh, that I would bring down uh, a couple interesting things, and this was one that I brought down. Um, but we grow sea berries. I mean, it's a fruit that's sort of uh, endemic to, to Central Asia and into to Russia and Siberia. And for all the uh, sort of mythology geeks out there, the uh, sea berries are what a Pegasus needed to eat to be able to fly. So I know there's probably a lot of Greek mythology oh, our Pe- people. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and, and and basically all so there's, the, Greek, there's Greek gods hanging up in the finger legs, working the fields out. with their shirts <laughs> off, drinking jugs of this. That would be great. That's a great tourism map. <laughs> I yeah. love that. All, 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 all the towns are already named after all, all, all the towns that are already named after uh, Greek towns already. They, they are. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's true that we. Well, I mean, with Romulus and and uh, Ovid. Romulus. I mean, it's it's Ovid. You know, Homer but they changed it. But yeah, we have a lot of Greek. Apparently, the guy, the cartographer. When they made the when they were making the maps and naming towns in upstate New York, at least in our area, in the Finger Lakes, was obsessed with Greek uh, literature and, and ancient Greek uh, history, and so that's why he he just started picking names for towns, so Romulus and and Ovid and all this stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it's fitting that we would have you know seaberry uh, a light seaberry cider. So what's a typical day for you, man? I mean, you talk about stewardship of the land and, and you're planting trees for the future. Uh, well, they're long days, and, and, and we do. Have, I do have two young children, so there's uh, a lot of that involved too, of uh, just sort of you know the family life. But uh, I will say that Black Duck is not just me. Um, it is 
like we like to say the Black Duck Crew, uh, my wife clearly uh, to to put up with me. Uh, all these years of planting these things is amazing, um, and then we have a lot of really great help um, that work for us. So it, it's it's not just me, but I mean it's seven days a week that we work. Uh, I do go to market myself on Saturday. We do Ithaca Farmers Markets. I do tastings. We sell fresh fruit and all this. Um, but pretty much seven days a week in season, um, we work. I mean, I get up. Uh, I take care. We have a huge flock of ducks that we raise for duck eggs. So that's usually the first thing I do in the morning. I get up. I take care of the ducks. Uh, I come in. I drink coffee, uh, a lot of coffee. And then, and then breakfast. Uh, and, then, and then I... You know, either in picking or helping pick, uh, you know, we're trellising, um, you know, in the winter we prune trees. I mean, there's never completely a downtime, but in winter it's a lot less work because it mainly revolves around pruning. And then uh, we actually graft uh, most of our own trees. So there's a lot of that work in the winter. So that's actually when you um, essentially, you know, make a new tree. You take a rootstock, you put the top part on, which is the part that you want, the variety you want, and uh, you essentially make a new tree. So there's John, a lot of What's that. your biggest fear? Like, you're a farmer, an orchardist, based on the land, there's nature. What's your, what's your biggest fear or a big fear that, that you have to think about every year? Uh, well, or weather. Summer? I mean, it's all about Mother Nature, because she uh, dictates everything. Um, so... You know, crop loss is really, through weather, you know, is really our biggest fear. I mean, in 2012, uh, there was a, a very early push on the fruit trees. Um, it got very, very warm in February and March. Uh, things bloomed uh, much too early, and then we had severe frost. Um, most of the Finger Lakes people lost some, you know, sometimes everything. Uh, there was no uh, apples and pears that year. <coughs> I actually was out in the orchard all five nights um, burning fires, um, essentially small fires to create an inversion layer. Um, it's not the heat from the fire itself, but the, the heat goes up and it essentially goes, <coughs> and it starts to go into the atmosphere 30, 50 feet up, and it creates a convection where you bring warm air down from, you know, 40 to 50 feet up. And uh, I was able to save about 40% of my crop that year. Um, but that was five nights all night long, running around tending small fires. Um, so, yeah, weather is always the biggest thing. I mean, we've had two relatively cold, severe winters in a row um, here in the Finger Lakes. So, uh, and it's something you really can't control. I mean, I can't, you know, tell Mother Nature to stop bringing the cold or and we've had you know a lot of rain this uh this uh you know early summer which was relatively okay if we get that rain in the fall that's a problem um you know it starts to wash out the fruit you know you get a lot of watered down uh you know uh, crops uh although i will certainly say the great people are more uh, at risk in the finger lakes uh, which is you know a huge industry the, you know, the finger lakes wine industry and if they get fall rains, uh, they're much more susceptible to rot and other things, not just sort of a watered-down uh, fruit, but, um, you know, they have issues with no harvest then. So, uh, yeah, if I could control nature, that would really be <laughs> If you can figure out a way to... There's a company called Tropicana, but I don't know about that. <laughs> um, who wants to ask one last question? Because this is so much information. It's pretty cool. 
Right. You can, 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 and oh, okay. so we can do oh, two we questions. We have time for both. We can go all day. Yeah. For John, so you've made cider pilgrimages. Is there a cider pilgrimage? What's the next cider pilgrimage on your list that you would like to make? Specific region. Yeah, well, I'm obsessed with Disturious. I mean, I haven't actually, you know, found out all about that region. Um, I want to go back and spend more time. It's actually not a very big area, but... Um, yeah, I don't feel that I've, you know, sort of taken it all in. So uh, I think, I, you know, I have a daughter that's 16 months old, so we're not ready to go back yet. We won't probably wait another year or so, but um, I'm going to go back to Asturias. Yeah. I was just going to ask, I mean, uh, clearly, like, your fruit, your, your, your process, um, and your farm are very, very important to you, and I think that these are really integral... Uh, issues for defining what American cider is too, because there's a lot of people focusing on the terroir and wanting to, you know, be as minimalist as possible, and that the fruit say what it says for for that region. There's a lot of people that that buck that and and just go all about process. Like, you know, we're going to stop uh, the fermentation, inoculate it, and and you know, treat it with with a particular yeast, and you know, add adjuncts and and do whatever we do, but we're going to make something great just the same. Sure. Uh, so I want to know from you what. You think American, Where? what's the direction of American cider? Which way are we going? Is it sort of all of it at the same time? Because other regions I, have very specific styles. I, I think that, I mean, if I look at the wine industry sort of as a guide, and I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's obviously more mature than, than, than the American cider industry, which is, you know, sort of in its infancy, the rebirth of it at least. Um, I think both ways. Um, I don't particularly see one of those sort of, um, you know, being the main uh, uh, choice of the majority of people. Um, and I think that's sort of great in one way. Um, I mean, I love the European cider regions and, and wine regions, but they are relatively locked in, either through laws or just tradition, um, to a very specific set, you know, whether it's varieties or, or the processing or techniques. And I kind of like that we're a little bit, you know, like the Wild West, where... Anything can go, and then it's a matter of your taste. Um, and, you know, we, I had this discussion with someone last night um, here at the bar. Um, I have no problem w with Angry Orchard or, or some of these bigger bigger cider makers uh, if they're using real apples. Uh, I think there's a place for that, too, for someone's taste. Um, I might not necessarily want to drink those ciders, but... Um, you know, it, it definitely could be a gateway for people um, where they start that way. And, yeah, I have no problem with any of those stuff. You guys are – there's a quote from your website that Gay gave me. It yeah. says, uh, we let the fruit speak for itself and variation from season to season should be expected in the finished beverages. So yes. cheers to you guys. Cheers. Thank and I will say just on that note, like we've interviewed uh, Reverend Nat from Oregon, and he's talking about just using the bounty of, you know, regular dessert apples in, in his state. And then you've got – a Kevin Z from Easy Orchards who's growing his own, you know. So yeah. that's just in one state, there's two different guys, totally different approaches. And I think that you guys are on to something. I'm so proud of you guys at LaSalle. It's, it's, it's like every week you're bringing in the, the best people in the world for cider right here on Orchard Street. And uh, can't wait to see what you guys do for Cider Week in New York City. All right. I'd like to oh, thank yeah. our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors. We'd love to bring this podcast to you tonight. 
Thanks to Wassales, Ben Sandler, Daniel, and Sabine, and cider maker John Reynolds from Black Duck Cidery for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to Gay and Kay from United States of Cider and our engineer, Jack Inslee. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.